Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I can't hear anything. I didn't... Welcome back to the Monsters and Socks <laughs> podcast where Dan says he can't hear anything because I didn't say anything. That's the no, first was, thing they're going to hear, Dan. I'm not re-recording it. This is it. We're okay. going. I wasn't. I was referring to the truck that you are supposedly worried about for summer. That's what I couldn't hear. I was aware that you weren't speaking with your mouth. Yep, I was well, letting you know that I couldn't hear any supposed truck. Well, for the, for the, real, for the real Monsters of Socks heads... They're going to perk up. They'll go, oh, that was different. That was different. For our new fans, welcome. Why you are listening to our podcast while the forever 500 Red Sox continue their quest to be within two games of 500 at all times is between you and your dog. But we're happy you're here. Dan, how do you feel about Boston Red Sox baseball team? (laughs) I have no idea. Uh, I feel about the Boston Red Sox baseball team. It's so funny. Like last week, I, I think, and whenever you have a weird kind of bad season, which this is sort of starting to look like it's going to be, well, the kind of bad, you know, maybe we'll discuss whether it's kind of bad. It's certainly a weird season. Whenever, whenever you have a season like that, there's always like one game or one day that you that you point to um, at the end of the year and say that 
that was sort of the bottom that represented all of the team's problems. Um, you know, to me, like, I think, the, I think one of the classic examples of this, uh, if you think about like the Bobby Valentine season, does it get weirder and sadder than the Bobby Valentine season? And like the day, Euclid's last game, where, you know, the, he had that awkward curtain call. We kind of knew the last game thing was coming. He was butting heads with Valentine all season. Um, like that game always stuck out in my mind as like the game of that year that represented that year. It seems like so far, right now, we're going to look at the Matt Dermody start as kind of that day for the 2023 Red Sox. Um, the Red Sox are just were and still are in the middle of a brutal stretch of baseball where they're not just losing games, but they're losing ugly with terrible defense and just absolutely uh, just absolutely bats that are doing nothing at all. And then, you know, Blue comes out and we don't need to discuss Dermot anymore. We will discuss Dermot anymore when we get to the anger scale. We, we don't need to, to, to start the show off with him like we did last week. Thank you, really thank you, like, because I do have things to say, but I didn't want to, like, you're yeah, right. We don't need to start with it. We don't need to start with it. But Obviously, that sort I know of what like you're going to say, and you know what I'm going to say. And <laughs> yes, anyone correct. who listens knows about those things. So let's yeah. say things that they don't know. And then right. So we'll, we'll put the specifics aside for now. But the point is that that really seemed like a low point that was kind of representative of what what is maybe turning into a bad, ugly season. You know, and the numbers for the past month are in a lot of ways ugly. They're since since taking the first two games against the Padres, um, which which was a represented the end of a four game winning streak for the Sox. They've gone eight and fifteen. They have not won more than two games in a row in that stretch. Um, they're playing ugly baseball, and yet at the same time. Um, and I, I read this this morning in a piece that Bob Osgood just published on Over the Monster about James Paxton. Since the day that James Paxton joined the rotation, which was May 12th, so we're now over a month, Red Sox starters have the sixth best ERA in baseball at 3.76 and the second highest K rate in baseball, nine and a half strikeouts per nine. So the one thing that we started this season really worried about knowing that it's just a total question mark, the starting rotation, the one thing that was awful for the first month of the season has now stabilized into something of a strength. And yet at the same time, while the Red Sox are pitching outstanding, they're playing horribly overall with absolutely terrible defense. Um, Same date since Paxson joined the rotation, the hitters are 25th in F war and 27th in home runs overall. Um, so I just don't know what this team is right now. Do you have any idea what this team is? I don't think the rotation is as strong as the stats indicate. I think that James Paxton and now Garrett Whitlock have been very good. That. Yes, I mean, although one, one of, other one, one other Garrett Whitlock has been great, but I do want to just just interject because I couldn't believe this when I read this again in Bob's piece this morning. Um, so Garrett Whitlock has had sixteen career starts, career starts. I couldn't believe that first of all when I read that, and then secondly, only five of his sixteen career starts have been quality starts. Can you believe that? 
Yes, but only because quality starts is such a weird. It is kind of weird and dumb. But I mean, he had one of them last night. It's, 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 if you had asked me, if you had asked me, like, what's Garrett Whitlock done the past month, I would have been like, oh, he struck three or four quality starts in a row. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know what it, you know what kills the quality start? 5.2. Yes. Yes. That is 5.2 really point. Yeah. is such a, it's, especially if you're watching in real time and it's like fantasy and maybe you don't. Maybe it's not the, even the Red Sox, and you're sort of peeking in. I do this on my phone, and I'm watching. It's like, say the inning's over, say the inning's over, say the inning's over. And it'll be like, so-and-so came in to pitch for so-and-so. And I'm like, Jesus! Yeah. Brought in a lefty to get one final tough out. You know, you, like you know who one of those starters that counts toward uh, Bob's numbers there? Uh, that's uh, Matt Dermody. <laughs> that's true yeah those even with the Germany start in there it's I um, mean, Paxton has been but you know what the Paxton arc has been it's what I <clears throat> said the best case scenario for sale was that they just wait 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 until he is at a hundred percent the difference <laughs> is that I think sale might have been at a hundred percent and it just Toward the end, he certainly was. Yeah, can't sustain it. But Paxton is so good. (laughs) I I mean, I know he's a good pitcher, but this is on par with the best he's ever looked, and it's couldn't happen at a better time. However, it is a little bit. Um, ultimately perhaps worrisome because if that's what's sustaining the team that might not last to that degree by the way no one has my phone number I assume you can hear the phone ringing strictly for emergencies that is a spam call or it could be an emergency <laughs> you never know no it's for calling out during emergencies oh, for children yeah, yeah that makes more sense anyhow uh, I, yeah, I, so, I, I, mean, I don't Paxton, think yeah go ahead well I was just going to say Look, I I hate to be the one to say this. Just as I wrote a month ago when I wrote a, a piece for, for the site about regression, I started off by saying I hate to be the one to say that Alex Verdugo and Connor Wong and Reese McGuire have come back to earth, but they are. And, and they Jaren Duran. Don't and I mean, Jaren Duran. I, I actually didn't even I didn't even put him in the piece because it was so obvious that he would. Yeah. Um, but so just as I hated to say that, I hate to say this, but I feel like I have to. James Paxton is going to get hurt. Mm. It is a matter of when, not if. It's a matter of when, and it's a matter of how hurt he gets. I mean, Paxton Paxton was Chris Sale before Chris Sale became Chris Sale in terms of just being a pitcher whose body cannot hold up. Obviously, he's coming off Tommy John right now, but even before he had Tommy John, he was constantly on the I.L. with different back issues and you know, little there was nothing major until the Tommy John, but he never, ever, ever completed a full season. He never even came close. And now he's thirty-four years old and hasn't really pitched in two years. Like he is going to get hurt. I I disagree with your assessment of his numbers, even if I agree with the <clears throat> overall broader point, because he did in 2018, 2019, 160, 150 innings, 28 and 29 starts in back to back years. That's close enough to a full season that I'll take it. 
Again, yeah. right. that was Fair four enough. years. That was four years that, ago. That was four years ago. And then how many times in his career has he started more than 20 games? Four. Well, he started exactly 20 once. So either three or four, depending on how you get yeah. it. Yeah. But I do think that almost unlike sale at this point, the product you're going to get when he's out there is uh, quite good. It's uh, the K's per nine are lovely. Uh, the ratios are great. He's such a command too. Yeah. That's the, and that's the thing that you we're always told to worry about post Tommy John. You know, they say the velocity comes back, but it's the command and control that struggles. It's weird. Um, it's, it's, it's so, it's such a, mind fucking away because is watching the game it's like oh pitchers can do this like really good pitchers can oh you want to throw it there with two strikes and he won't swing and like you you can do it that's awesome like the word that came to mind to me when i was watching the other night was just like he's a clean pitcher yeah Yeah. (laughs) he's just clean like he right like he just he hits the glove and you know it's it's you're never really worried about uh, a pitch going to the backstop or anything like that or him totally falling apart and you know allowing eight straight singles eight straight hits like Corey Kluber did <laughs> by the way I do want to get back to that I've been meaning to- <laughs> they deserve that they deserve they it, did- that camera yeah so. I actually I actually do want to revisit that I think maybe I'm going to write about that because it's kind of uh, it it got lost in just the the whole shittiness of that night. But that's amazing. A a pitcher giving up eight straight hits like this. Uh, this is all we should be talking about for a week. The fact that that happened, I can't believe that happened. That's insane. And the Schadenfreude was so was off the charts. <clears throat> yeah, I do. You know, I I I. Kluber's been such a whipping boy for this team for so long, uh, and his performance has certainly deserved it. But uh, on the heels of Whitlock's gem last night, there was an article, uh, I want to say it was Mass Live and Sean McAdam. Whitlock just talked it, it talked about what an outstanding mentor Corey Kluber has been for him all season long, and just the way that like Kluber is just sitting down next to him on the bench every night and just making – teaching Whitlock how to focus in on at-bats and, you know, asking, you know, he sees that, that, you know, the hitter fouls went off to the right side and he makes Garrett Whitlock tell him, was the hitter late on that swing or was he trying to go the other way? You know, like fascinating little pitcher, things like that. Um, you know, maybe th- we've been wondering, <laughs> we've been wondering for a long time why Corey Kluber hasn't been the one to get DFA'd. Like, you know, I wonder how much of it is stuff like that, that, you know, that maybe he's he the is pitching a, coach, a huge help. You know? He's the pitching coach, yeah. People are wondering why Dave Bush is, you know, hasn't uh, been on the hot seat. Maybe Dave Bush is is Corey Kluber's lieutenant. I, I, I really do think that there's value in that that doesn't end, doesn't end up as being supplemental because if it can – truly help Garrett Whitlock given Corey Kluber's salary it sort of will pay for itself I don't think it's something that the teams are (coughs) super probably 
mindful of when they're going to bring a guy aboard, but they obviously know it's possible. And I think it also, you don't know how the personalities are going to mix, you know, maybe somebody was like, I don't want to hear what you have to say, but that value is real. And, uh, you know, most pitching coaches haven't won two Cy Young awards. You, (laughs) they won't always have the opportunity to talk, to talk to someone who has been as good as Kluber has been in his career. And so you love to hear it. I saw that. Yeah. I saw the same article. Uh, yes. It's wonderful. I'm just happy that now when I said Whitlock was the, I mean, according to you, if Paxton gets hurt, that puts Whitlock, whose injury history is totally stellar and clean, obviously, (laughs) right back up at the top. So happy that my preseason prediction that he would be the best pitcher has some life in it now. It may possibly come true. It may possibly come true. So so maybe I'm crazy because, like we said, the Red Sox are in many ways in total freefall right now. Uh, they are totally out of the division picture, obviously. And yes, theoretically, you know, they've been hanging around the four to six games back from the wild card spot, but there are a lot of teams in front of them that they have to, to crawl through. Um, and I'm still expecting, I'm expecting the Mariners to go on a run at some point, uh, and climb back into the wild card picture. I think the angels are going to hang around. So they're in a tough spot and yet, this pitching is making me feel kind of good about the rest of the season. Like maybe. And so we saw, so let's talk about what we saw Brian O'Halloran say on Monday in the athletic, he was asked pointedly trade deadlines coming up. Are the Red Sox going to be sellers? And he pointedly said, no, we are looking to improve this team. Um, Now look, they could, they can use the word "improve this team" uh, to justify a lot of different moves that Jeff Supan. Like <laughs> yeah. Jeff Supan getting his straight uh, for the second straight yeah. week. But maybe he's maybe they're kind of right. Maybe as dark and as bleak as things looked last week, and still look this week. You know, like look, they haven't turned things around yet. They just lost two out of three at home to the Rockies. Um, you know, maybe. Maybe things aren't so bad here. I don't know. I I mean, they're not so bad. They're one game below 500 with a plus one run differential. They are a 500 team in the toughest division in baseball by far. <clears throat> and yet, I cannot help but believe that the claim that they're going to improve the team is a technicality i think yes i i think you're right i just don't see them parting with what it would take they're not going to make a one soto trade they're not going to make one soto of course not no and i don't even think whatever i don't even think they're going to make a kyle schwarber trade like you know we can go down from one soda of course they're not going to do the a a soda or you know level And, and i don't even know if anyone like soda will be on the market you know, the only guy looking at the at the start of the year, everyone's looking at Otani. But like I said, the Angels are hanging around. The Angels are hanging around, and I just don't see, I don't see them trading 
trading the, the the greatest player of all time and the only thing that's that's keeping their team worth watching right now at the end of this year. I just don't see it happening. So I don't think there is going to be a Juan Soto on the market to begin with. And then I just – like we all know what Bloom's trying to do with the farm system. You think he's going to start trading like Nick York and Zidane Raffaello, who, who has frankly lost a lot of his value this year anyway? in order to get, like, a, a, a number two or three starter in the rotation? Of course not. Just, of course yeah. not. Right. So, That's like, not- how, how would they even add to this team? Oh, I mean, you can always add at the fringes. There's relievers, of course, and fourth outfielder types. I mean, look, at this point, you think that's what you think that's what they're gonna if they're gonna stick to this line of we're gonna improve this team, you think they're then gonna go out and just get like a middle reliever and a bench bat and say we see we did it. Yeah, probably. I mean, I I will say this. Obviously, the minor league system is not gonna get gutted, but no. I would not be surprised at all if Duran was gone at the trade deadline. I he's a bench he he is now a fourth outfielder. Mm. He has fallen back down. Arguably even fifth. Right. You know, we don't know how this is gonna shake out between Kike and Duval in center field. Right. Now he's cheap, so that's good. But <laughs> I don't think they're gonna give him up either. Like I, I don't see Bloom giving up a young player who's still cost control for another three or four years at least i don't see that happening i i don't okay if, if right. they're truly so, I, I don't see do i that. don't see them adding to this team i mean I they will I add now somebody. they will add somebody and they will say hey look we got better remember bloom's thing is to wait until the absolute bitter end and just sign whoever's left for pennies on the dollar that's what he does fair enough yeah that it that does describe the short deal. Say, oh, that made us better. Deal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I just I don't see them doing much. And and frankly, like given that, I mean, selling. I don't think I don't think they're gonna have the guts to sell either. But if they did, if they were like, okay, who wants James Paxton? Who wants Kenley Jansen? Who wants Chris Martin? I mean, I think like those three guys alone, especially Paxton, could could net them some really nice pieces. And I think that was inherent in signing them. I think I said this specifically about Kenley, is that when you sign a guy like that, he's 38, you sign him half to trade him. You know, it you are banking yeah. on you being in the position where he matters to you. And someone like that at the deadline would be very, very attractive, especially because he's been pretty good this year, to a team in a more viable contending space. Because the Red Sox are not contenders largely circumstantially. I mean, you said, I don't think the Angels are going to trade Otani. Well, they're better than the Red Sox in every way. And they are in their division as well. Like they're in it. Where's the rest? I don't think they I don't think they will be at the end of I think a lot of the a lot of the AL standings have been skewed by the Astros slow start. 
Um, but I, I expecting the Astros to just take off any any minute now. Really, I don't think they will be in the division come August. But all right, so so what? So let's imagine then. Let's fast forward to the trade deadline, and let's say the Red Sox, as you said at the top of the show, are still exactly where they are. They're uh, you know within two games of five hundred, and they are around five games or fewer out of the last wild card. Like, what would you want them to do at the trade deadline? See, I actually don't think they're going to trade Kenley because if they say that their goal is to make the team better, that would plainly not make the team better. Well, I, this is, and I know this is why I'm kind of but that is what, by but that how I've been coming out and saying this. That's what I would want. I think I would too. I think I would too. I think if the Sox are in this position at the trade deadline – I would absolutely want to send Paxton, Jansen, and Martin packing and just see what you can get for it. Martin, maybe not as much because I think he probably has more left going forward, but it just depends on what someone would pay. I mean, he's a relief pitcher, whatever. If, 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 <laughs> if relief pitchers to me, if somebody wants you him, always, you, can yeah. him. you can always get one next summer or next winter. It's they're yes, there. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and now, and now that they've come out and said this, and look, like we've discussed a lot that we, what the front office says, what Bloom and Kennedy are saying is very calculated, and does, in many cases, frankly, just not reflect the reality of what they're doing. We talked about this all off season when they insisted that they know we are trying to win the World Series this year. They're they they're not. They're trying to field a vaguely competitive team while building up the minor leagues. That's that's what they're doing, right? And they refuse to admit that. And now they've come out and said they're going to be buyers at the deadline. Uh, so, like, are they going to be able to sell James Paxton and Kenley Jansen after doing this? Or do they care? Maybe they don't care. Maybe they will just completely reverse course on what O'Halloran said. I, I I have to get this off my chest. It's not the first time, but for all the problems I've had with Bloom, I think he's very smart, very capable, working within a framework which he is forced or has chosen to lie about. But he's capable. And what he's doing is working within some constraints that have been set up for him in the way that he has worked before. And as I've said many, many, many times, I expect next year to be this to come more to fruition and the talent to him going after bigger talent as the minor leagues grow. So I understand Bloom's importance. And as much as I criticize him, I think most of what I have criticized him for is not being forthright about what he's plainly doing. But I get it on some level. Sam Kennedy is not Chaim Bloom. Sam Kennedy may help Chaim Bloom in aspects of putting together the Red Sox. Sam Kennedy cannot do it. And I have no interest in hearing a word he says about anything. He is a PR man and a bad one. (laughs) I 
am flummoxed by the I you know he's like Tom Wamsgans. He's just not a believable <laughs> person who is clearly an absolute yes man for the organization. And I guess there's one for every organization. I know that like David Ortiz loves him. The players love him. And that tracks to me because he seems to be in some senses, the general manager of getting, making people get along with the organization, both within it and without it. But God damn, every time he opens his mouth, about a player move, about criticism, I think the exact opposite is true. That's not the same way it is with Bloom. I said, I've listened to Bloom on podcasts. Bloom is really smart. He knows what he's doing. He knows that we know that he knows, you know, all of that stuff. Kennedy is someone who... The second he starts talking, I believe the opposite in almost every case. I don't like it, Dan. Yeah, no, that's understandable. I can't remember uh, anybody like him within the Red Sox orbit ever. And he seems he seems like such an unnecessary player, period. You know, he really does. I mean, I guess I guess the only reason why we hear from him so much now is because John Henry's just decided he's done. He's done speaking to anybody. So someone has to do it. But you're right that it, it like it is a role that no one played before. I guess like because the closest analog to what Sam Kennedy was before Sam Kennedy would have been like Larry Lucchino, right? And he took that role in a complete opposite direction. <laughs> you know, Larry Lucchino. I, I mean, Larry Lucchino was the team. You know, right, right, yeah. He wasn't like right. He wasn't just a yes man. He was one of the decision makers. Like, um, I can't think of and, somebody in another, sp- I can't, like me, I'm sure there is one, but someone who's neither the owner nor the GM. Yeah. And yet speaks for the team. And yet speaks for the team. I mean, <clears throat> the place. This is a really good point. Who it's the hell? very yeah. Occam's razor that Henry stopped talking. So Kennedy and Bloom have sort of split up the oper- the role of talking for him. Mm-hmm. And in yeah, a lot I mean, of I guess ways. that is all there is. Kennedy handles the bad stuff and Bloom handles the good stuff. Which is why when you know Bloom is talking about bad stuff, things have gone wrong. Which we yeah. will get well, not to. Even... We will get to. <laughs> but I just don't understand the idea that any outsider would find Kennedy appealing or believable in the least. Even, even among the Bluminati. I'm not talking about Bloom. I'm talking about Sam Kennedy. Yeah. Well, all right. Great Should job we... if you can get it, though. Great job if you can get it. I know, really is. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's let's take a quick pause here, then, and let's find out what you're angry about this week when we come back, uh, because I do want to basically. I think there's more Kennedy Bloom stuff we could talk about. We can. We can. We can kick right off with with what we need to discuss about those two on the, on the anchor scale. Oh, you think? All right. We'll be back! 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right, we are back. Can't imagine what we're talking about here. Dan, am I mad? You find out. All right. Uh, this isn't what I was going to start with, but uh, given our discussion about Kennedy and Bloom, I think we have to. Brian, how angry are you about the fact that yesterday I and Bloom spoke once again about the Matt Dermody situation to the Boston Globe? He claimed that their due diligence process failed, that they are going to beef up their process as a result of this situation. He said, quote, I really regret it because it caused pain, unquote. And then a couple hours later, Matt Dermody started for the Hussocks. I am going to stay within the boundaries of the scale and i am 10 by this whole affair okay the most offensive thing to me was that he said following thursday night start they Mm -hmm. found more activity on social media that was alarming which is funny because you and i both wrote pieces on Thursday afternoon and morning that referenced yep. <laughs> this very activity, which yeah. I mean, Fitz, Fitz found the Fitz tweets within found like five minutes of him being announced as the starter the, the day. Be- yes. The day before it's lying. It is lying again. Yeah. I do think that there is a marked difference between starting for the Red Sox and starting for the Woo Sox in that, Minor league baseball is 
not really about winning or losing. No, of course not. So, my issue with the Dermody affair, on top of everything else, was that it showed a weakness in team building because Dermody is not like a real prospect. I don't really he, care. He's not. No. I don't not. really so this care is... that he started. Again, that's almost... I, I got to say that's almost like an act of mercy on the organization's part because they fucked up. Okay. They fucked up. All of this was out there. And if yeah. you let him go after that one major league start, it kind of paints him as damaged goods. I would not be surprised if they let him go subsequent to the triple a start, almost giving him an opportunity to be like, you're out the door. We fucked up. Whatever. <sighs> But I don't care. What I care is, again, getting lied to flagrantly and unnecessarily. There is no reason to say after the start, we found out about this stuff, especially how much of an issue it was before the start. It doesn't pass any sort of smell test. So, Dan, I am mad about it. Yeah. And and, and here is where... So to bring Kennedy into this, here's where the question of what does Sam Kennedy actually do and why is his role weird and different than we've ever seen before comes into play. Because with respect to Bloom, look, in a perfect world, would I want Time Bloom to uh, consider the character and outside activities and political activities of all players he signs? Sure. I would love... I would love for teams to be woke like that, but they're not going to be. And in the alternative, I think I, I would also understand an office setup where the Red Sox basically said, okay, Bloom, your job is just to be a, a baseball team putting together robots. And we just, you are responsible just for focusing on trying to accumulate as much talent as possible. And we will be the ones to step in. We being, you know, Kennedy, ownership, whatever, will be the ones to step in and say, you know what? Okay, we understand why there's a baseball reason that Matt Dermody might be a a candidate for a spot start in Cleveland on Thursday night. But we're going to step in and stop you from doing that because it's just not worth it to the club overall. That is where Kennedy's job should be. If you know, if if he is the if if he is the president of the team, but he's not involved in baseball operations, that's what he should be doing. And yet, it seems like, and, and that's I think probably what Lucino would have been done when he was the president of the team. Um, and yet, obviously. That's not happening. It, there, there may be nobody who's sort of taking on that bigger picture role beyond beyond just the pure baseball operations here. His instinct is always to double down every single time and misdirect. Oh, 2021. What do you mean we're not supposed to be going? 2021, 2021, 2021. Yeah. I, so it really I, does seem like his job purely is to just speak because Henry doesn't want to. 
because it doesn't seem like he's making decisions. Because if someone someone should have stepped in before Thursday with the with the with the big bigger picture and said to Haim, you know what? Yeah, I get it. You you want to have a spot starter for tonight, baseball wise. He's maybe the right candidate to do it, but it's just not worth it to the Boston Red Sox as an institution. Like there's no, got to be someone. They who put says up the that. Pride logo. It's fine. It's fine. Don't worry about it. They put up the Pride logo on Twitter. It's all solved now. Yeah. It's it's infuriating. I just I don't I don't know why they are this way. I mean, I kind of yeah. do because. Henry has created a vacuum and I think just left Bloom and Kennedy to just sort of bumble through it and they're content to do so. That, that might be what it is. That might be what it is. They're just, there is no decision maker right now in the Red Sox for this. And I I agree with you. That would seem to be Kennedy's job, but it's not. (laughs) Apparently it's not. All right, forget about Dermody. Hopefully, that's the last time we talk about him, and hopefully, I can I can uh, bring you back here on the scale a little bit. Brian Joyner, how angry are you about the fact that in the five games before facing Garrett Cole last weekend, Rafael Devers had hit two eleven, two seventy three, two eleven? Yes, that means he did not have a single extra base hit, and he struck out four times in the five games since facing Garrett Cole. Rafael Devers is hitting 300, 333. 950 with four home runs, five runs, and six RBIs. I'm going to have to adjust my answer here to the Hyam slash Sam Kennedy anger because I don't want it to drown out my anger. So I'll go negative seven. It would be higher otherwise. But the fact that Cole chokes and gets destroyed by Devers all the time is amazing. It really is. It It really is. It's incredible. And like to, to Cole's credit, he's basically just like, yeah, man, he's really good. Like just like Cole's great against everybody else. Not good against Raphael Devers. It's so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And it didn't have to be Cole that snapped Rafi, but that it was makes all the sense of the world narratively and sort of practically. It's it's so, so wonderful. Now, if anybody else, if the Red Sox get a hit uh, with men on base with fewer than two outs subsequent to that, that would be really nice. But That would be nice. That would be yeah. nice. Um but yeah, no, you're. It's just so wonderful, and not only because obviously, look, Garrett Cole is the best pitcher on the Yankees. So Rafael Devers owning him would be wonderful, no matter what. But the fact that Garrett Cole's too personally is just such a tool. <laughs> like he really, really is. Just makes it so much better. I mean, this guy, like he's the exact opposite of Rafael. Some of the quotes he comes up with, it's like. Yeah, he really is. Yeah, he really is. Like I was saying, like like if this if if this were CC Sabathia as the Yankees' best starter and like Devers owned him, it would be cool because he's the Yankees' best starter. But because Cole is just like I don't everything about starting with you know remember I'll, he should get more shit for this and and he did at the time, but he should get even more shit in the in the clubhouse after the Astros lost the World Series. The fact that he took his Astros hat off. 
and put on a Scott Boris Corporation hat. I mean, look, I, I'm, I'm as pro player empowerment as it gets. I want the players to get all the money. I appreciate what Scott Boris does for the sport. But God, could you imagine just being like Jose Altuve and looking across the clubhouse at that moment and seeing Garrett Cole wearing that hat? What a, what a tool this guy is. We probably wouldn't see him because there's taller people in the way. But that's true. I mean, Scott Boris has many clients who become free agents. Have you seen a Scott Boris Corporation hat before? I have not. Exactly. I have not, yeah. He's a toolbox, whatever. He really is. So, yeah, it's wonderful. It's wonderful that Rafi owns him so much. Uh, Rafi turning around. This, we really need this. This needs to stick. Uh, It isn't helping anything, but, yeah, it does. No, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, he hit two home runs the other night and then sat for a scheduled day off uh, yesterday, which I know a lot of people were, were frustrated with. But, you know, whatever. It was against the Rockies were starting a lefty. Cora's point about two days off in a row being a real rest, I think, is something that fans underestimate a little bit. Um, because, you know, even on a typical – it's always funny to me when people talk about like giving ball players off days. They still have to show up to the ballpark hours before the game. They still work out. They still take BP. They still dress in uniform. They still are on the bench waiting for a possible pitch hitting opportunity. Like it, it is barely kind of a rest. Um, so I, there's I'm a reason lazy upset. Sundays are lazy Sundays. You need a day to get ready to be lazy. You do. You do. So I'm not terribly upset about uh, Devers taking last night off. I don't think it's going to affect him. We'll see. We'll see. Hopefully he can carry the offense. All right. Let's see. Where should we go next? How about this? Brian Joyner, how angry are you about the fact that sloppy defense was once again a major part of the story at Fenway Park last night? But this time it was the Red Sox who benefited from two really ugly outfield plays by the Rockies in the seventh inning. There was that weird Rob Snyder triple, which I've watched that replay now like three times. I still don't really know what the right fielder did on that play. I don't like, it looks like the ball from, from where the right fielder is to where the ball ends up. It, it looks to me like the only way it physically could have happened is if it went directly through his abdomen so I don't know how he messed up that play. And then later in the inning, there was a ball off the wall that was misplayed off the monster, allowing Justin Turner to just get in at a play at the plate. Sloppy defense finally helps the Red Sox instead of hurting the Red Sox. I don't agree about that. I'm a five because of how sloppy the Red Sox have been. <laughs> but maybe this yeah. is karmic. Maybe this is karmic comeback for being like, all right, Kike, nope. Uh-uh. Yeah. Another outstanding catch in center field last night, too. Another yeah, he's good. He's catch. good at that. He's good at he playing is. center field. He really, really is. But that that just uh, even speak going back to Duran, that just further just undercuts any uh value he might have. I, I, I disagree with you on Duran. I, I think he could be a trade asset because very classic. Not my guy thing, even if he's cheap, you know. So Yeah, but I see I see that more as an off season thing than a trade deadline thing. I don't think if they you know, say they want to make the team better and he's not playing and they get somebody who does play, I can see how that would fit their 
Yeah, I what suppose. I mean, I, I guess, but but then you you'd be looking at like who are the buyers in that scenario? Yeah, that's that's Teams, the thing. No who team, no him? team in contention is going to want Jaron Durant. Like, what, what are they? What are they score? Like a little speed off the bench. What about Duvall? I, mean, I think Duvall, if he starts hitting again, I think he's got to show that his wrist is better first. Yeah, I think uh, before before teams will be ready for that. But yeah, he could if he if he gets it going and starts popping some home runs. Uh, I think that's it. Yeah, he, I mean, he's definitely a potential piece. Are you uh, 34 we'll or older? Yep. Okay, you're on the block. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, we'll see. I guess that's the thing. It's like Duran, Duvall could go to a contender. A contender yeah. would want Duvall. I don't I don't see a contender wanting Duran. Oh, okay. So we so they'd be selling him to another rebuilding team, in which case maybe it's a team that just has a good bullpen arm. And so Duran just shores up the Red Sox bullpen. But I don't see High and Bloom liking that trade on a on a on a basis of value. You know, I don't I don't see him giving up cost control Jaron Durant for a bullpen piece. So that's why I don't see him moving. That's fair. That's fair. All right. So you're five. five about that. Let's stick with defense, Brian Joyner. How angry are you about the fact that Tristan Casas is currently at negative six? In the category of defensive runs saved this season, that is the worst mark amongst all first basemen in baseball. And when he was informed about this, Tristan Casas said, quote, that is very surprising to me. I'm sure, I'm sure if you put me out on the field against every first baseman in the league, I'm just as good, if not better, than every single one of them. In terms of my footwork, my arm accuracy, my hard work. So it's surprising to me. What do you think of that quote from Tristan Casas upon being informed that he is arguably the worst defensive first baseman in baseball? He says, you know what? I think I'm the best. I Knowing Tristan Casas, I can't imagine. I, I, my instinct is that's tongue in cheek, but it's hard. Yeah, to I would like to say I would like to see it on film if it was recorded. But I'm negative five. I'm not mad about this because this is like for several other people, notably Duran, but I think more so with Casas by far. Uh, this is a learn on the job year. <clears throat> yeah, I mean that's sure. that's what this year is. And but what what's surprising? Like we weren't expecting him to have to learn this though. Like the consensus coming into this year was that he was an above-average defensive first baseman already, and we expected an improvement over Bobby D here at first base. It, no one expected him to be this bad, and he looks bad out there too. Like he looks – I mean, he is slow, and he is lumbering, and he struggles to get down to the ground because he's just such a big body out there. I don't know. So in that in that article where he said that quote, they talked about how in his, his normal pregame routine has involved a lot of diving. Like he likes to, he, he has traditionally liked to uh, spend his, his, his pregame focusing on like really difficult plays where he has to really range the hole and dive for things and go after foul balls near the wall. And I guess the team has decided that that approach obviously isn't working and they've asked him to stop doing that. And now they're just instituting a pregame routine where he just 
fields ground balls that are kind of hit right to them. So we're, we're kind of in a, in a Jaron Duran, Jackie Bradley situation again, where it's like, well, have you tried practicing the thing that you're struggling with? Well, people may or may not hear we did. I didn't add a read and I was trying to like real flex on it when I started. And after doing it like three, four times and hating it, I was like, why don't you just read the words that are on the page? Yeah, and go from there. And it was the same Jackie Bradley Jr. Jan Duran moment. It was like, oh, just do the thing you're supposed to do. And then you could figure out how to do things beyond that. And yeah, don't be that set the difficulty low and then make it higher. Don't set it high and try to just <clears throat> bang your head in the wall until you actually hit that level. Grow, yeah. Tristan. Grow. Yeah. It was an interesting article, and I saw some people on Twitter who were kind of upset with the coaching staff. Um, and I don't know if this is necessarily a fair thing to be upset about, but there were some people who thought they were kind of throwing Casas under the bus in that article, saying, like, well, he hasn't been preparing the right way, and we got to fix this. Um, and I think maybe there's some merit to that. Like, you're the, you're the coaches. You're, you're in charge of how these guys prepare for a game. And if Casas has been doing this, all season and presumably last season in spring training too. And you think it's a bad way to prepare and they do think it's a bad way to prepare. It's not just in his case, you know, they, they came out and Carlos Fabulous, it was either Fabulous or Cora was saying like, like he doesn't need to die ever, you know, we, so let's not practice that. Let's practice the other stuff. What's well, like, you've had months to fix this. You, you know, you could have done this a long time ago. So maybe, I don't know. Do you think they were being a little unfair to our boy? It's nice to have someone in the organization tell the truth. So I'm fine with it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, As it in is a sense, Casas is the type of guy who be okay with it. But he's yeah, the best he first baseman be. in the league. So of course he would be. He's the best first baseman in the league. That, that quote, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, I do. We have to see that on video because I don't know what to make of it. Normally, normally I get bothered. I mean, look, I know all these guys are generally supremely confident in their abilities on a baseball field and supremely confident in pretty much their abilities throughout life. Uh, In many cases, it gets them into trouble when they move to areas off the baseball field. So I know they're confident, but I usually kind of am rubbed the wrong way when it seems like a player is just being stubborn about his deficiencies. Nick Pavetta comes to mind. Exactly. Yes. Like, yes. Nick Pavetta is, is a perfect example of this. Um, I think we meant, we mentioned Garrett Richards on a couple of pods ago, the same thing when he was demoted and he kept insisting, I know, I know I can go out there and throw six good innings as good as anyone else on this team. It's like, well, you, you haven't done that at all this year. Uh, yeah, so this note quote, that Corey Kluber didn't do this. Like that's he here's a yeah. nice archetype of, Right. What we know about Corey Kluber is he's accepted his role and is now basically being Garrett Whitlock's, Garrett Whitlock's pitching coach. So that's yeah. all. That's good. You know. That's yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. So I don't. So I don't know. We, you're right. Like he might have been joking. We got to see this on, on tape if it's out there. Um, but yeah, it's. I can't. I can't decide yet whether this is another quirky thing about Casas that I love, or whether this is the first thing about Casas that's actually bothered me a little bit. Yeah, I mean, if it's true, if he was dead serious, that's way too Hillenbrand vibes for me. Mm, shit! Don't say that. Don't say yeah, that. I know he's like they're not. They're not the same guy. 
No, they're not. All right. Moving on. Brian Joyner. How angry are you about the fact that in Fangraph's re-ranking, or updating, I should say, of the Red Sox prospect rankings, in which Marcelo Meyer remained number one, Fangraph's uncovered the fact that against approximately 250 non-fastballs that Meyer had seen as of the time of publication, his slash line against them is 098. 233-118. Uh, I'm more concerned than angry, but I'll go uh, – let's go another five. Today's a five-day. I mean, look, five, yeah. you don't need to look beyond Jaron Duran to know <clears throat> that when you were a hitter of any sort of skill uh, of fastballs, you can put up numbers in the minors and it doesn't translate. I got a, a better example for a better hitter, pure hitter, the Jaron Durant is Nick Madrigal, who I believe was the fourth mm. pick in the draft, right? Yeah. Love that guy when he first came up. I loved him. I was so, I was, I thought like, <clears throat> hey man, he's comes into the league as a top 10 bat to ball guy. And like, I was like, sky, not sky is the limit. Uh, what I was thinking he would become is basically what Lewis Arise become. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't have power, but I am unreal at putting the bat on the ball, putting the ball on playing, getting hits. Brief, brief digression. We'll get back to this. How yeah. how pumped are you about Arise's season so far? I mean, I, I'm I love that guy. Like I love. Yeah. This is what. But like, ex- are you are you like are you keyed into the four hundred chase already? Like, are you checking? No, I, I don't I believe. I'm, a, I'm starting to check his highlights and stuff. I don't believe a four hundred chase till August. Well, that's fair enough. But still, this is like as late as we've had one in like a decade. Is he above? I, like, I'm not saying he's. I'm not, what's I mean, is he above four hundred? Oh, he's at three seventy eight. He's over no, he his last twelve, which is a problem. Shit. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's oh, uh, that's a, that's tough. Well, that sucks. Yeah, but I see what you're talking about because he was at three ninety one before that. Damn it! But yeah. Madrigal got demoted no, by he, the Cubs. He, I mean, he was over four hundred last week. Yeah, well, yesterday's price is yeah. not today's price. Madrigal, yeah, was demoted from the Cubs because he has a slash line of like he has no walks, which is weird and. Nothing but singles. I mean, maybe he has doubles and some sack flat, but his OBP and his slugging were the same, right? And it's under 300, bad. He went down to the minors and hit like 400, 500, 1100 in 10 days. Just absolutely yeah. murdered AAA. Came back, shit again. That's because, yeah. like, I, he yeah, seems I, like, I can go he seems like a face. good candidate for like Korea or Japan. Yeah, yeah I mean, like, like that. Like he's Matt Merton, basically. Yeah, like who, batting who title in Japan, Japan type, type yeah. guy. But like that's, it's so much easier to hit in AAA that this is why, another reason why I'm like, let's give it some time. Here's another example. <clears throat> Perfect example of like highest pedigree. Spencer Torkelson, still struggling, but the last couple of days, Mm-hmm. He's the number one overall pick in the draft, arguably the best college hitter ever. Like, and like, sort of 
as far as power hitters go, is almost not arguable. Like just flat, flat out. Can't hit for power in the majors on a consistent basis, though when he does hit a home run, it goes very far. It's a problem. Um, and Meyer has been only getting total shine. So I think this is a nice counterpoint to that. It doesn't well, well, I mean, this is happen- not this is not flattering, obviously. No. Did you happen to listen to uh Jeff Ponce on the red seat last week? No. <laughs> <laughs> did he throw did he throw some cold water on our, our boy? So Jeff Potts, uh, for those like Brian who did not listen to the Red Sea podcast uh, on the Monsters and Socks podcast network. Uh, I'm he not is baseball... listening to Keaton. It's just not happening. <laughs> so he is baseball America. He's one of baseball America's prospect guys. He covers the Northeast. Uh, so the Red Sox are within his gambit. That's and... not the use. Oh, you said gamut. I thought you said gambit. I did say Gambit. You're right. I'm sorry. I meant to, I meant to really say meant Gambit. Purview, you me. I did. Yeah, you're right. Fine. Okay, we'll fix that in editing, too. <laughs> no, no, we won't. Um, so, you know, so, look, bottom line, he still sees – he has Meyer, I think, as the number eight prospect in baseball right now, okay? But here's what he said about him. Amongst other things, he said that Meyer so far is showing a lot more swing and miss in his profile than they expected – or they I should say more swing and miss in the minors than they expected based on his profile at the draft. Um, he's a little concerned that Meyer is really not a great athlete and thinks he probably will not be able to stick it as short. And he said, when he ultimately came around to give comparisons, he said his absolute 90th percentile outcome is a poor man's Nolan Arenado and he said his realistic outcome is Heimer Candelario. Ooh. Yeah. Now, Heimer Candelario is a guy who puts together very solid seasons every now and again. He's, he's uh, OPS, and OPS plus over 100 right now. He's had a couple of seasons where he's hit sort of 270 with an OBP, you know, in the 350 range. He's been a, a productive major league infielder. But he's also had some really bad seasons. And the fact is, I don't think any Red Sox fans right now, and it kind of seems like the front office too, is even considering the possibility that Marcelo Meyer just ends up as Heimer Candelario. When in fact, like we all should acknowledge that that's just how prospects work. No, no single prospect is likely to be a star. Not a single one. There obviously are stars, future stars playing in the minor leagues right now, but no single individual prospect is likely to be a star. And you know, that's that's a little that's that's a cold hard fact of reality, but it's a little disconcerting when the entire Red Sox team building philosophy right now seems to be we're not really going all in until this kid gets here. Yeah, I mean, this is like I said last week, and I stand by this, that picking him is one of Bloom's best two moves. But, like, if you're playing poker, you can go all in with a killer hand, and you can lose, you know? And that's not to say that that, this is going to happen. Obviously, we have many, many, many years before we know how this turns out. But it won't hurt anybody to pump the brakes 
at all because it's just not fair to anybody, frankly, to have the expectations that like we're, I think in Red Sox heads, he's sort of like, like Wander Franco was the number one prospect in baseball for like two years. Okay. And and Wander and Wander was like a he was a known phenom within the industry from the time he was like twelve years old too. Yeah, he's different. Right? Like they this were, they not, everyone knew he was. As a this is not that. I think the closest thing to that right now is Jackson Holiday, who yeah. started this season as like the fifteenth prospect and is number one now. I think almost universally. Yeah. Uh, and his dad was Matt Holiday, so that makes a lot of sense. You know, right? Uh, the but even that's not wonder and the expectations look, you can go look at top 10 prospect lists from every month for the last few years. And you're going to see at least half the names. You're going to be like, Oh, that didn't work. <laughs> Jerks and Profar was the number one prospect in baseball for like two years in a row, like two or three years in a row. Sure was. I was thinking that and that was like, if you want to see the Red Sox make a move that where they say they technically got better. Oh, so far was so someone far. I was thinking of, especially because yeah. he, he had that big game. Uh, the only guy who could hit James Paxton, but yeah. yeah, just, but this is, I mean, the whole bloom theory is philosophy is not that Meyer needs to be the savior. It's that he makes enough moves that so yeah. that, yeah. Somebody. This is why. Like, like that. Who's the new guy? Roman Anthony. Yep. See. Yep. You just got promoted. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Like, this is how it works. Mookie. This is Mookie why. Good example. They knew Mookie was good, but Mookie's cur- prospect curve was as steep as you're gonna see. Oh, absolutely. Of, he just outside like, of like Juan of Soto. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was. He. Yeah. I mean, he was nothing in his first year in Lowell. And then all of a sudden he just got good and he just stayed good and just shot up the charts. Um, but this is why I get so bothered when I, and I, you, you see this all the time from baseball writers, from baseball fans, from executives, from people on Twitter, when people talk about that, the most efficient way to win is by building through the minors. That is not what the word efficient means. It's the cheapest way to win, but it is way, way, way more inefficient than by building through free agency. It's way more inefficient because it takes, first of all, it takes years. Right? Let's, let's break down what the actual word efficient means. Uh, it, it, building through the minors takes years, even for a guy like Marcelo Meyer, a guy who is, shooting through the system at a pretty quick pace, like is still maybe going to be in Fenway in the second half of next year. Maybe. Okay. Building through the prospects takes a long time. Building through the minors also necessitates you signing 300 guys and hoping that six of them make it to your major league team at one point. Again, that's the opposite of what the word efficient means. It's really just cheaper. And this has been something that's bothered me for years now, that people just throw that word out. It's, it's become an absolute accepted truism of team building, and it's plainly not true. Yeah. I'm not saying it's not a good idea to build through the farm system. Of course, it's, it's an absolutely necessary component of modern baseball team construction. 
But this idea that like, oh, yes, obviously this is the only way to do it and the right way to do it, the most efficient way to do it is just not true. Well, and then there's the flip side of it is that there is a there's a point where because they're so unpredictable, you should actually blow it up and trade your minor leaguers. Sure. Because you could trade them for known quantities like the Kopech and Mankata trade for sale. Prime example of this. Kopech is good now, you know, and Mankata has been an everyday player for years. Still great trade for the Red Sox. Yeah. And it's it's, Anley Ramirez and Anibal Sanchez for Josh Beckett and Mike Lowell. You have that, that, there's, there's, I get, I haven't looked this up, but I Mike Lowell, guarantee they, the Marlins insisted that the Red Sox. Yeah, I haven't looked this up, but I guarantee, knowing how good Hanley was early in his career, and knowing how good Annabelle Sanchez was, I guarantee you, Hanley Ramirez and Annabelle Sanchez compiled more war after that trade than Josh Beckett and Mike Lowell did, and for that reason, you would have people saying that that is a bad trade. That trade won the Red Sox the 27 World Series. Yeah. I like mean, unquestionably. Yeah, it was the 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 MVP and Josh Beckett, who was like the MVP of the playoffs. Yeah. Yeah. It, it unquestionably did. Um, so now yeah, all right, we should move on to recommendations because we are getting long in the tooth here. We are. Well, I did have yeah, we are. I do you have one more? Go. You could just do one more. <laughs> I had one more. Okay. Is this yeah. about the Red Sox? How good. how angry good. are you good. about good. the facts? That the Oakland Athletics, who finally lost last night, won seven games in a row with the seventh win coming on the night of their reverse boycott in which 27,000 fans packed the Coliseum, chanting almost the entire time, sell the team, sell the team, sell the team. It's unfortunate that that's going to be the last truly cool moment. For the yes. A's, I think Ugh, because it yeah. because it's uh it's really really a shame. Like I understand a foot. I mean, I understand any sports franchise moving to Vegas because they just see dollar signs. But I just football. I get it. I get it because football games, especially for visiting fans, are destination based. Yeah. So Vegas makes perfect sense for every other fan base. The entire NFL is an event-based sport. Like that's like no one cares. I mean, I shouldn't say no one cares about the game itself, right? That's that's not true. But like if you just give someone a ticket to an NFL game, the average American won't even ask who's playing. They're just going to go and they're going to tailgate and they're going to have a good time. That's what I mean by it being like an event-based sports. Like if, if you get a chance to go to the Super Bowl, you're going to go, no matter whether you care about the teams or not. That's not the case in any other American sport where like, people actually make their consumption decisions based on the actual quality of the products that they're being offered. So I mean, the NFL, yeah, will be fine. Major not League to baseball get totally like political here, but say there was a political party in the United States who actively broke shit and then blamed the other side that the shit was broken. That is exactly what the A's ownership has done 
to the franchise in Oakland. Precisely. Yes. Yes. It's it was all. These are all choice. You all. You made choices. Okay. Yeah. This is not greater factors going on. It's you made choices, and you have what you want now, and it sucks for everyone but you. I mean, yeah. I guess some. I guess for Vegas it'll be fine, but I. Do it's not exciting ex- for. Right. And th- and that I keep thinking about that like how how could any person no matter how greedy they are sleep at night knowing that they're taking a baseball team away from millions of people? And I guess the only thing they do is they just compartmentalize and they only think about bringing it to Vegas. They think about making all those people that they're talking with on a daily basis, happy. Yeah. That's the there only are way a I lot can... more people in the Bay Area than there are in Vegas. That's for sure. Yeah. Anyhow, it's depressing. Uh, my anger on that is uh, my happiness for the. I'm I'm going to do this anger against the owners so I can be angry today, yeah. and it's a ten against the owners Ooh. rather than yeah. All right, you were at thirteen. Yeah, the week. Good. Uh, good. Last week you were at thirty-one, <laughs> so I guess you're a little happier this week, maybe, uh, than last week. Um, that's good. Um, all right, so there we go. You want to talk about the Yankee series a little bit at all? All right, we got about uh, we got Hauk and Herman tonight, Bayo Schmidt tomorrow night, and Paxton the ace against Luis Severino on Sunday. Uh, we obviously saw her. I mean, the Yankees saw Hauk and Bale last weekend. The Red Sox saw Herman and Schmidt last weekend. Generally speaking, the you know the old rule of thumb is that the the hitter has the advantage when they see a pitcher more, and that makes me feel pretty good if I'm the Red Sox because I think I'm. I mean, Hauk. Look, we don't know what we're going to get from Hauk, but of, of of those four pitchers, I would have the most confidence in Bale, just in terms of. He's got the he's he's the best he's the best pitcher of those four. He's got the best stuff, um, so I, I could see him sort of standing up to that second time in one week thing better than the other four. But we'll see. Yeah, I mean, I think Hauk. That's that's the where the danger is for me because yeah. he pitched well against what, the Yankees. One of his best starts of the year. Yeah, I don't, especially given the way he pitches. I would I just. I, I don't expect him to have two really good starts in a row, no matter who he's playing. But that's definitely possible. When you play the same team twice, it, it scares me a lot. Yeah, yeah. Um, Severino, for what it's worth, he's, he's making his way back from injury. He's only had five starts this year. He is at all. Um, so... I, I would the Yankees at Fenway this weekend. I'm saying it. Like I said, like I said last week, this Yankee team I am not remotely impressed by. And we're missing Garrett Cole this time. You know, we saw Herman and Schmidt both pitched really well against the Red Sox last weekend. Everybody's pitching well against the Red Sox right now. But I think they I think they bounced back against those guys. I think Severino hasn't found it yet. Paxton has. Fuck it. I'll say it. I'm predicting Red Sox sweep. All right, I'm going two out of three with them losing the Hauk game. I was going to go one out of three just to balance out last weekend because it's the way baseball works, but I'm with you. Most of it. I, I'm I'm really worried about the Hauk start. Yeah, fair enough. No, but I mean, I will say this. For all the 
there was some griping, but who cares really about how long it was before the Red Sox played the Yankees. The way the cookie crumbles is that no judge for the first six games is the best you could have yeah. asked. Yeah, and you know what? I don't. Um, I, I understand that a little bit. I, I think it's. I think I do miss the Yankee games a little bit. I understand that, but overall, I'm so much more happy with this balanced schedule. Like I, I love the fact that we saw the Padres, even the Rockies last night, who are you know one of the least relevant teams in baseball. Like I, I'm glad we got to see them. Well, they won I'm their last series. I don't know if you heard. <laughs> yes, I did. I did hear that. Um, by the way, oh, I forgot to mention this stat. Uh, I was going to mention this at the top when we were talking about what a confusing team the Red Sox are in general and how we can't figure out exactly what they are. The Red Sox home record this year is – well, take a guess. Give, give them I don't have to because I've been – I had the standings pulled up for a lot of this, so I yeah. know they're 18 yeah. and 18. They're exactly 500 on their 18 and 18. That 18 and 18 record includes the fact that they have gone two and 10 at home against the Pirates, Cardinals, Reds, and Rockies. It's the first place. Now, the Pirates, Pirates are you. Yeah, the Pirates are still two games above 500. As we discussed, they look pretty good. Their run differential is not good, though. The yeah, entire they, division they lost. has a negative run differential. Yeah. And and when we when we talked about liking the Pirates, O'Neill Cruz was still healthy and playing, and he no longer is. Um, but yeah, that is eighteen eighteen at home, and they're getting brutalized by some of the worst teams in baseball this year. Just just weird and bizarre. All right, recommendations. Recommendations. I'm going to recommend. Uh, I'm going to recommend if you don't have one. And you don't live in an apartment building? Go get yourself a screen door. I have. Uh, I, I. We moved into a new house last spring, and it didn't have a screen door on the back leading to the, leading to the backyard. And we just never got around to putting one in last summer. There's too many other things to do. And I finally, this past weekend, put in a screen door. Got a really nice one from Anderson. It's less than two hundred bucks. It doesn't open out like a traditional screen door. It just sort of it. it it works on a roller, so it like rolls up. You press a button, it slides to the side and rolls up. And I, it's like, look, I, I have had screen doors in my life before, so maybe as a result, I just didn't appreciate it. But after a year of not being able to open my back door in my kitchen to the backyard, now that I can just open it up and close the screen door, it's really made my daily life so much better. So if you don't have a screen door, go out and get one. I should have done it a year ago. Mine's mine's an Instagram account, and the guy is sort of sort of arrogant, but that's part of the act. It's called Card Tricks by Jason. He's a guy. It's like is that what you've been doing this entire time? So I will tell you. I don't know, if, I, listeners. I don't know if you can hear this, but for the past twenty minutes, Brian has not been making eye contact with me, and he's just been doing what I assume is playing solitaire. No, while I've no, been no, talking no, 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 and no, not no. listening I'm, to me I'm, at all. No, I'm cutting the cards with one hand. So that I can practice. This is really good. Yeah, People are going to hear yeah, it. I'm going to stop now. Yeah. Um, and he's like, a, he, people will send him challenges being like, you can't do, you can't take the, make the 10th hand and a thing this hand. And he just does it every time. And half the time he'll just tell you what he's doing. Even as he's like shuffling, he's like, now I'm putting the aces here and I'm doing that. And he's just, it always works. And, I show his videos to my poker crew 
And they're like, oh, it's not true. It's not true. And I was like, I didn't know you had a poker crew. Well, we haven't played. Hey, I didn't know you were that type of guy. I, I was when I lived in guy. Brooklyn and I lived up until COVID. Anyhow, mm-hmm. we played like every Thursday. Um, <laughs> he explains how he's doing the tricks often. And you just don't believe he could do it because it, you can't do it. But then some of the tricks, I just look them up on YouTube. There's tutorials for how to do pretty much any card trick you want to do. You, you know what? Need... Actually, go ahead. I, that's um, that's really interesting that you brought this up. Were you ever into magic as a kid? I mean, I I love the idea of being able to do it, but I have not. I went through I went through a magic phase when I was probably like eight years old, maybe, where like you know I I got into it and I would get magic books and learn magic tricks and things like that. And it hasn't occurred to me until right now that thanks to the internet, are kids ever going to get into it again? Yeah, it's because so at least now, like it's it, it, it. I'll tell you because I've been watching these videos. And he says all the time, I've been doing this for 30 years. I've been doing this for 30 years. The whole point of it, like Ricky Jay, right? Seen one of my favorite movies ever. This should be my recommendation is Ricky Jay and his 52 assistants. Yeah, that's much better than this one guy's Instagram account. And it's an hour long. And it's directed by David Mamet. Um, This is Ricky Jay doing card tricks. And you, no one... Like my whole poker crew, this is the whole point. They were like, this is fake. This is fake. And I tried to tell them, no, it's not. They're card tricks. They're designed to fool they're, you. They're fake by nature. So they I mean, fool that's you. the thing. Like they're fake by nature. Yeah. Yeah. This guy will do videos. He's like, you can look for these things in uh, home games with shuffles because look what I can do. And it's just like, you're just like, okay, yeah. If, if I played with you, I would never win a hand. Yeah. Because it's it's uh, it's not it's it's and so I was looking up how to do the tricks and what I'm doing here is they say the way you learn to like do a pass which is get your card on top of the deck without people noticing you got to be able to flip one half under the other and that's hard you need to build up the strength and the basic video I've watched is you put rubber bands on both sides. And just practice flipping it up. And so I just have said, I'm just, when I'm sitting idle, I'm just going to practice just strengthening my pinky and my fingers so I can pull one side. It's like, I'll never be good at it, but it's fun to do. So yeah, yeah, that's it. But what I'm worried about is because you can now just look up any single trick in the world. Like is, I mean, when we were kids, there would be, there were regularly, you know, big magic specials on TV. And there would be a big deal. And people would watch, like, you know, we, everyone watched David Copperfield make the Statue of Liberty disappear. That's never going to happen again. Yeah. Because as soon as he does it, you're, there's going to be someone on Twitter explaining how it happened. And in fact, it has since been explained. I don't know. If, do you, if, did you read that? There's like, yeah. we now, it's, it's, it's an open secret now. How Is it just mirrors? It. It's always mirrors. It's, um, he had, so it, if you if you rewatch the trick itself, you know there's like a stage and there's a crowd of of people who are on the island with him. And what he did was he he put that stage on rollers, 
and he very, very slowly moved the stage so that, like, when he started the trick, the Statue of Liberty was behind them. He then puts a big, giant curtain up to separate the two, moves the stage, <laughs> pulls the curtain down, the Statue of Liberty's gone. Like, that's it. That's all it was. Well, that's, that's all my, it was. My, my point, though... That was that... one of the biggest TV events of, like, 1992 or whatever. And that was, like... And now nowadays, he would try and do that. Someone on Twitter would be like, the stage is on wheels, and no one would give a shit ever again. But my point is that that's only... Just watch Ricky Jay and his 52 assistants and tell me yeah. that people aren't going to... You, you could know how the card trick is done. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Right. If you see it done in front of your face... You're just not going to believe it. It's like, it's your brain just can't handle it. Uh, I will give it a shot. Like I said, former, former magic kid. So I will give it a shot. Well, I played magic, the gathering, but that's not what you meant. I did not do that because I was not a complete nerd. I just, I still have my deck, man. So enough out of you. All right. uh, I'm going to send a fireball Dan's way with my mana and uh, end this podcast because he, called me a nerd as a kid which i was and still am that's it for the 500 the the, i don't know who it was jake keaton or bob that wrote it the most 500 team to ever exist the hartford whalers might have something to say about that but these (laughs) red Sox are giving them a run for the money hopefully dan is right and they sweep the yankees uh but if they do not even if they do we'll be back next week dan have a good one you too man take care